What is the greatest love story ever told? Is it Romeo and Juliet, the forbidden love between two youths from feuding families ending in tragedy? We have Romeo sneaking into the Capulet orchard to see Juliet, getting married in secret, killing his rival, and Juliet taking a potion to appear dead, only for Romeo to miss the memo and then kill himself, with Juliet then killing herself because she can't live without him. Or is it the notebook about a young couple that fell in love in the 1940s? Noah and Ali spend the summer together but regrettably break up. Noah writes her a letter a day for a year with no reply. He buys a house and fixes it, all for her. By some kind of providence, she comes back to him. Later in life, despite dementia, he's by her side and dies peacefully with her in the same bed with both still holding hands. Or is it Pig? Spoiler alert. About Rob, a lonely truffle hunter living in the wilderness who returns to the city in search of his beloved foraging pig after she's kidnapped. He infiltrates an underground fighting ring, confronts his past, meets his adversary, only to find that his beloved pig was killed during the initial kidnapping. It's a good movie, by the way. Or is it Ruth? The foreign widow with no legal status emigrating from Moab to Israel and finding favor in the eyes of Boaz who crafted a plan to sideline the competition, give up his own inheritance and family line to marry her, father her children and continue her family line. Or is it another story? Well, this talk's going to have three parts. You can follow this on the outline in the app or on the website. So we're going to look at the man who loved Ruth, the man who loves us, and who do we love more? So will you pray with me as we ask God to help us understand the final chapter of Ruth? Please pray with me. Dear Lord, as we finish uh, Ruth 4 today, uh, please uh, give wisdom to an understanding to everyone here today. Please speak through me your truth from your word, the Bible. And I pray that, um, yeah, you will... Uh, move us today and help us to apply this to our lives and also to uh, see uh, a true love story from the Bible, Lord, and how you have worked throughout history. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in ancient Israel, this is the first point, the man who loved Ruth. In ancient Israel, women, especially widows, had limited rights when it came to property. In Ruth 3, Naomi and Ruth made a plan to woo Boaz to be their guardian redeemer, who was someone within the family who had the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. Boaz agreed to the plan, but first has to give an opportunity to a closer relative. So keep your Bibles open in Ruth 4, and let's see what happens. Verses 1 to 2, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Well, the main gate of the town served as a natural meeting place. It was a large open space with shaded seats. And this area was open to the public and acted as a local law court. The town's ten elders acted like a jury who would witness transactions and decide cases. And since everyone passes through the town gate, Boaz easily recognizes his relative 
and calls out to him, and our translations say friend, but in the original Hebrew, it's akin to saying, what's your name? Kind of like saying, oi, you. And he asks him to sit down. So Boaz has been quite serious about what is to take place. Verses 3 and 4. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Well, to understand why Naomi's selling Elimelech's land in the first place, we actually need to have a crash course in Old Testament law. So just quickly, Numbers 27 says that inheritance goes to a son, then a daughter, then brothers, then uncles, and then the nearest relative. It doesn't go to wives, so that's Naomi, and it doesn't go to daughters-in-law, so that's Ruth. So widows in general don't benefit from inheritance. Also in Leviticus 25, property sold in poverty must be redeemed by the nearest relative, and property can't be sold outside of the family. And then in Deuteronomy 25, widows must marry within the family, first to the dead man's brother, then, by precedent from Ruth 4, as we see, the nearest relative. And the first son carries on the name of the dead. So with that in mind, let's see what happens next and why these things need to take place. Verses 5 and 6. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Well, who's ever looked for a property in Sydney? Hands up. Unfortunately, too much of us. I'm sure you know how hard that is or was. Imagine that a relative offers you an investment property for a good price with a high rental yield, and you gladly accept the offer. But then the relative says, there's something you need to know. You have to move in. It comes with a bitter old lady who lives upstairs and you can't get rid of her. It also comes with a young woman. She's foreign and she desperately needs children and she needs sons and fast. So you are going to need to marry her and have a honeymoon baby with her and keep having babies until you get a male one. Oh, and you have to sign over your current inheritance to that first son. Would you like the property? Well, back in Ruth 4, the relative is basically in the same situation now. So perhaps you can understand the relative's answer when he says he can't do it. But according to Old Testament law, whoever buys the field also has the, um, the duty of raising a son through Ruth, who then inherits the property and carries on the family name. The guardian redeemer loses his own inheritance, which is perhaps why the relative says that he might endanger his own estate. The relative can't buy this land without also taking responsibility for Naomi and Ruth. Either he is the redeemer of both or he is the redeemer of none. So we have an agreement that has been made in principle. 
but like all financial transactions, we need to have some kind of formal exchange. Verses 7 to 8. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Who's this? Thank you. What's he doing? This is Harry Styles doing what's called a shoey. Basically drinking alcohol out of a shoe. And this is a shot from his recent concert in Sydney. And after Harry did this, there were newspaper articles out the next day with all these explainer articles saying what a shoey is and how it is iconically Australian. It would appear, though, that something similar happens in verse 7. But this is a different kind of shoey, mind you. But we all need an explainer. So we actually learned from the author of Ruth that taking off one sandal was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. There you go. But the main point is that the relative refuses his duty of guardian redeemer in the proper legal way. This responsibility of redeemer now finally falls to Boaz. Boaz could have asked his relative straight up, but he didn't. Boaz plays his cards well in calling him out publicly for only wanting the property and not performing his duty to marry Ruth and have a son with her. Boaz knew his competition, but he played him by the rules because Boaz was a worthy man. But more importantly, because Boaz loves Ruth. Verses 9 to 10. Let's continue. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Well, years ago, I attended a church with a pastor called Alex, which isn't his real name, but this is a true story. In his youth, Alex loved a woman who only had sisters. So we have a problem. The family name was going to die with their father, since marriage typically changes a woman's surname. The father agreed to let Alex marry his daughter on condition that he continues their family name. In other words, Alex would be the one to change his name. This sounds like wonderful news for her family, but see what he is giving up, his family name, and what his family might have thought about this. A sacrifice needed to be made in the name of love. He could have easily said no, but he demonstrated his love for her and her family by agreeing to this condition. And he indeed changed his family name, and thus in giving up his own family name, he has redeemed the name of their family. Similarly, Boaz bought Naomi's property and married the foreigner Ruth, and we see, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. But Boaz performs more than his legal duty. You see, in the same way the relative would have endangered his own estate, Boaz has made the decision to do exactly this. 
Boaz has decided to give up his estate for Ruth. We learn in the previous chapters of Ruth that Boaz was wealthy, Boaz owned a field, Boaz had a manager and employees, but Boaz loved Ruth. He didn't rest until he settled the matter. By buying Naomi's property and acquiring Ruth, Boaz is giving up his business, its successes, its goodwill, and its future inheritance. He is now going to own a piece of land that we don't know anything about. We don't know if it's profitable. We don't know if it's farmable. But this is the extent Boaz went for Ruth because he loves her. And we know he loves her because he publicly declares it. He says, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite as my wife. Typically, men don't admit their feelings. But when a man is truly in love, he is going to tell everyone. Ladies, that's how you know a man truly loves you. He tells everyone. If he's keeping it a secret, then you need to be suspicious about his motives and what he might be hiding. This is, nope. Apologies. Verses 11 and 12, I might not have a slide for this. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Well, the elders and the people at the gate were witnesses and publicly prayed a blessing for the new couple. May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah, who mothered the 12 tribes of Israel. Or like Tamar, who was a foreigner like Ruth, who mothered Perez, who was an ancestor of Boaz. And verses 13 to 22. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For the, your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz. Boaz the father of Obed. Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David. And there's a family tree up on the screen. Where the story began in tragedy for Naomi, it ends in blessing. However, this love story between Ruth and Boaz is actually not the main story, but rather a smaller story within a much bigger love story that first points to David and finally points to Jesus. You see, this list of descendants from Perez to David is exactly what Matthew records in his genealogy in Matthew 1, which brings us to our next point, which
which is much shorter than my first point. The man who loves us. You know, Ruth is a love story about a redeemer, Boaz, who loves and saves a family from losing their property and their family line. But the authors of Ruth and Matthew point us even further down the family line towards Jesus, who is the redeemer who loves us and saves us. But how does Jesus love us and what does Jesus save us from? Well, like the relative in Ruth 4, we have a responsibility to fulfill. To love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. But we haven't fulfilled this responsibility. We haven't glorified God nor thanked Him. Have instead taken the things God made instead of giving God what He deserves. We have broken God's good law and have rebelled against Him. And this is what the Bible calls sin. God made us to have a relationship with him. Each person in a relationship has a responsibility to the other. God created us, sustains us, and loves us. God has been faithful to us, but we have not been faithful to him. We have disobeyed him and walked away from him. And to walk away from the giver and the sustainer of life is to ultimately choose death, which is actually the punishment for sin. I said at the beginning that the greatest love stories that captivate us always show us the extent one goes for the other, even dying for them. The love stories of Romeo and Juliet, the notebook, and Pig showed the extent that the main characters went to even dying. So too, the greatest love story ever told in the history of the universe is the death of Jesus for us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, don't go there, it'll be on the screen, says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus was betrayed by a friend, and his closest friends who remained let him down, with one even denying that he knew him. Jesus was arrested, beaten, mocked, and whipped with a leather thong tipped with balls of metal and shards of bone. This is what a Roman scourging was. A crown of thorns was placed on his head. Isaiah says that he even had his beard ripped out. He was humiliated in front of several kangaroo courts. He was convicted to die by capital punishment, death by crucifixion as an innocent man. While he was bleeding, struggling to breathe and dying on the cross, his possessions were gambled away in front of him. But when he finally died, he carried the weight of the sin of the world, your sin. And three days later, he proved he was God in the flesh by rising again from the dead. Friends, Jesus loves you. Look at what he went to for you. And look at how he died for you. God has not left us without a redeemer. 
Naomi and Ruth needed to be, re- to be redeemed by a man, Boaz, but we need to be redeemed by the man, Jesus. And where we are cursed because we have broken God's law in disobedience, Jesus, through his perfect obedience to God, saves us from death by dying for us instead. Jesus took on this responsibility to redeem us because he loves us so much and went to great depths to show it, suffering in our place and dying for us. So the third and final point, who do we love more? Jesus' love for his people, the church, is the greatest love story ever told. And we see this in Ephesians 5. It's on the screen, don't need to go there. Ephesians 5 verses 25 to 27 and 31 to 32. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what about us? Do we love human relationships more or do we love Jesus more? Well, like Ruth and Boaz, our love stories are smaller stories within a bigger story about Jesus' love for his church. In Matthew 22, there's a story where Jesus was challenged by the Sadducees about who a woman would be married to in heaven if she had multiple husbands in this life. Jesus replied, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So we have two truths. If marriage reflects Christ and the church in Ephesians 5, and there's no marriage in heaven, Matthew 22, then what does this mean for our earthly love stories? I'm going to share some implications for men and women, both single and married. Now, before you make judgment on me as a married man, speaking about singleness, I want you to know that I was single for 30 years and I've been married for five years, which makes me a more qualified single person. I struggled with singleness in my early 20s, uh, but by God's grace, I became uh, content with singleness in my later 20s. But God decided that he was going to bless me with my wife, Jeanette. Did it solve all my problems? No. Marriage brings more problems or different problems depending on how you want to look at it. It's basically two sinners living together and sinning together. But the truth is, and this is hard to hear, we're all born single and we all die single. And when we die, there's no marriage in heaven because we, the church, the people of God, will be married with Jesus. Friends, we need to stop seeing marriage as our God and start seeing how marriage is a reflection of Jesus and his love for the church. So let's talk to the men. And this doesn't mean the women switch off. It's important to hear the other side. There's two types of men, I think. Those who think a woman will save them and those who think that they can save a woman. 
to those who think that a woman will save them. If you engage in sexual sin like lust, pornography, masturbation, I want you to know that a woman does not save you from these things. Only Jesus saves. These acts are conscious workings against God's good design. And if you don't give these sins to Jesus, then you risk taking these into your relationship or into your marriage. Women are made in God's own image, beautifully and wonderfully made. So if you think that she is the solution to your sexual sins, then you need to turn away and ask Jesus for his spirit to help you. Whatever your past, Jesus will forgive you if you ask of him and turn the other way. To the men who think that they can save a woman, whether you are single or married, note in Ephesians 5 that it isn't a husband who saves a wife. It's Jesus. Too often Christian men date non-Christian women thinking that they'll bring her to Christ, but he instead ends up giving up the faith. And while Ruth was a Moabite, she decided long ago to follow the God that we believe in. With Naomi's help, she approached Boaz, a reputable and godly man. It wasn't Boaz going to Moab to find a woman he can save. He wasn't swiping right on exotic women. Likewise, you have beautiful, godly women right in front of you in this church, even widows, and yet you go into the secular world or you go on Tinder looking for a woman, even if just for a look. There is forgiveness, but you need to turn away and ask Jesus for his spirit to help you. Single women, a boyfriend or a fiancé or a husband won't save you from your sins. Selfishness, putting a man above God and wanting what other women have are conscious workings against who God is and the place that he ought to have in your heart. Many young single women imagine the perfect man, perhaps someone like Boaz, wealthy, influential, and confident. The perfect man you deeply desire in your heart is real, but it's for the perfect man, Jesus. I know of many women who've had cold feet before or during their engagement because they reevaluate whether or not they're about to marry the right man. Ladies, marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church. This man, does he love you? Would he die for you? Does he lead you to Jesus? Then he's right for you. So if you are single and you desire to be married, pray to God that he will bless you with a godly man who will love you like Jesus. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. Only Jesus is your true redeemer. And single women like like Ruth don't overlook more mature Christian men. I mean men who've been a Christian for a long time regardless of their age. Sometimes these men are overlooked because they're less spontaneous or more serious or just boring. But if he's anything like Boaz, then he'll be straight up with you. He won't play games with you, he won't use you, he'll be honourable and he'll honour you because he loves Jesus more than you and he can love you 
like Jesus. Finally, to the married men and women, how faithful is the church to Jesus? As the church, do we always love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind all the time? No, we don't. Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, even when the church is unfaithful to him. So husbands, when your wife lets you down, pursue her, forgive her, and love her like Jesus. Wives, if you are married to a godly Christian man, don't leave him or divorce him because he's imperfect. All men this side of heaven are imperfect, and you are too. God has forgiven us, and by his grace, we can forgive others. But pray that you'll be faithful. And if you are married to a non-Christian man, pray that he will come to know Jesus personally so that he can love you like Jesus. Friends, we have many things we need to think through, act on, and pray about. But as we conclude our series on Ruth, I want to finish by praying a prayer written by a man called David Atkinson. And this prayer is for the whole series, so please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, creator and sustainer of our world, you hold all that you have made within your gracious providence. We thank you for the rich freedom you have given us. Help us in all things to see your hand and to live as those whose lives are entrusted to your sovereign care. As Ruth from Moab became one of your people, so you call us by name and invite us home. We are glad to find shelter under the refuge of your wings. In Jesus Christ, our guardian redeemer, you meet us in our ordinariness and make our human life your own. We thank you for your costly self-giving in redeeming love, setting us free to share in the life of your family. You have taken our pains, our sin, our bitterness, our fear to yourself. Forgive us our sins and teach us how to forgive. Grant that when, like Naomi, we walk the valley of tears in the evening and in the dark, we may not lose sight of the resurrection dawn of hope and joy. Through the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, you lead us into truth. You enrich the guidance of your law through the personal warmth of your generous love. As Boaz went beyond the call of duty in gracious provision for another's need, how much is your gift of grace far more abundant than we could ask or think? Teach us to be alert to the needs of others and to work for a just distribution of the rich bounty of your world, that each may have daily bread for daily need. God, the Holy Trinity, from you each earthly family receives its name and learns its love. You are the God of history whose purposes span the centuries. Through your family, the church, you now make known your plan to unite all things in heaven and earth in Jesus Christ our Lord. Before him, one day, every knee will bow. We give you our praise. We ask for your aid and we, we seek to bring all aspects of our lives under the rule of Christ our Lord. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen.